Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome to The Blind Spot. This week, I am very excited to have one of my dear friends, Simon Goland, here for an interview. Simon is a contemporary alchemist, deeply passionate about individual and organizational awakening, also about dogs, seeing and exploring our fascinating world, cycling, and crunchy things. He is currently launching the Awakened Living Program, which you can find out more on his website, which will be in the show notes. And he's also on faculty at the Deep Coaching Institute and was also a learning lab instructor in the shift-based Enneagram program that Russ Hudson and Jessica Dibbs taught, which is where I first met his acquaintance. So welcome, Simon. Thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Hi, Kara and all the listeners. It's a pleasure and a delight to be here with you all. Mm, Thank you. So I like to unpack some of these words a little bit. A contemporary alchemist. Tell me, what do you mean by that? How how would you describe what that is to you? You know, the traditional meaning of alchemy, medieval Europe was the search for that magical philosopher's stone that converts lead into gold. Well, it's a metaphor. These days when we are looking, when, when I'm looking at what alchemy means to me, it's about transformational learning. It's about awakening. It's about the fact that there is a very different reality than than more than what people see, more than what I see on a daily basis. And it's about how do I actually see what's going on? How do I see myself? How do I see my reactions? Your podcast is aptly named. How do I see my blind spots? How do I shift my perspective to, to really awaken, to open up to what's true here? And so I've started using the phrase Actually, somebody else coined that for me years ago. A woman, a friend, and a photographer was doing a book, um, Mover and, Movers and Shakers in BC, British Columbia, which is where I am based. And she coined the phrase contemporary alchemist after her and I talked, and she found out more about what I do. And it fit. So I, I kept using it, accepted mm. it as a gift from her and kept using it. Yeah, I love that because there's something about the word contemporary that really brings this ancient mystical practice of alchemy that has been, you know, talked about for millennia now, and it just brings it to modern day. And to me, it also makes me think of being present, like contemporary, like what is present right now in our modern day, and how do we use this wide variety of ancient spiritual practices? to actually combine into some new element. And what I love about this podcast is that the one thing that most of us have in common is the Enneagram. Although I've also interviewed people that I have introduced the Enneagram to, or they've only very peripherally heard from it. And what the common thread is that we're all curious about this human experience. We all are interested in healing ourselves and supporting the healing of others. And that we have this ability to see the world the way that it could be in spite of the way it is, that it is. And when I hear about your work, Simon, it really fills me with some hope 
that you're able to connect with people and accompany them. And one aspect that I'm particularly interested in is that I think you've also done work with the Mankind Project. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I just want to address something you said that contemporary, the relationship between contemporary and present. And, you know, that, that that's exactly it. Because from a state of presence, like real, true, authentic presence, many things change and shift. And it's a beautiful point. So thank you for that, because that that resonates in a lot of my work, like in my coaching practice, it is presence-based coaching. Yeah. However, Mankind Project, I grew up with absolutely no healthy male role models. My father was pretty much as opposite of that as possible. I'm a single child. And so most of my life, I... You know, what I saw and observed is not something that I would call healthy masculine. You know, four years in the Israeli army had plenty of examples of what it is not. And I encountered the Mankind Project through through a friend who was in a playback theater group with me. I have background in performing arts, so I spent seven years with a Vancouver playback theater. And he at some point mentioned it, and it resonated. And I dove in and I've been with the Mankind Project for probably 12 years now. And it transformed my life because I met men there who I looked at and I thought to myself, wow, you are exactly the person I wanted my father to be or like embody those qualities and none of them was present. And it's been magical because it helped me connect to what I call healthy masculine. and. In the Mankind Project, we take men on the longest journey of their life, from their head to the heart. And we look at what does authenticity, integrity, vulnerability, healthy way of being with anger mean and look like. And we do it in an incredible supportive community of other men, and it's profound work. So. There are different structures in how the Mankind Project operates. It normally starts with the weekend that we call the New Warrior Training Adventure, which really is an initiation. And so for those who are familiar with Joseph Campbell's work of Hero's Journey, we basically take men on a hero's journey in the course of a weekend through all the phases, complete hero's journey. And I remember when I went to my weekend quite a while ago, came back home on Sunday night and we were asked before we were leaving, we were asked, you know, whatever happens there, you don't talk about the processes, you can share of your own experience, but all the obvious things. And so I'm back home with my now ex-wife and we are both in the same field of human development. We have a lot of common language. So she's asking me about the weekend and I'm on one hand, I want to share. On the other hand, I want to honor the agreement. So I'm kind of trying to share without sharing too much. And I guess it was coming slightly disjointed. So at some point, she had enough of it. And she said, OK, show me. And I stood up and took a moment to embody one of the experiences that I had in the weekend, just standing, not talking, nothing, just allowed myself to go back to that moment of what happened. 
And she looked at me with like tears in her eyes and said, there you are. I've been waiting. Mm. You know, that's the work we do there. And I've been with them since um, one of the things we have in the Mankind Project is what is called I-group or integration group. And it's groups of men who meet regularly at whatever frequency, once a week, once every two weeks, go through our own particular practices and pretty much continue supporting each other. And I've been in a group like that for over six years. We meet twice a month. And it's been an incredible community of men that can love and support me when needed and can slap me on the side of my head and held me many times in the last two years when my life was collapsing and I am eternally grateful for them. And you mentioned the Enneagram. So I just recently did the introduction to the Enneagram for them. And it's been an absolutely wonderful because we know each other really well. And it was beautiful to see the different types and the behaviors when we put that lens of the Enneagram on how we know each other already. Mm. How many are in this group that you taught the wisdom of the Enneagram to? We have nine, myself including. And did you have all nine types there or which types were missing? No, we didn't. Two eights, two or three threes. We have a one, we have a five, a two and a seven. Uh, So we don't have a four. Or a nine. And one, I didn't finish the, the brief of the assessment. So he might be either a nine or a six. Yeah. But a fairly, I mean, quite a good representation. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I think it's so important to have basically an affinity group for men. I think that right now in this culture, you know, we are very sensitive to privilege and to opening up spaces where people haven't had opportunities to be. And so you hear a lot of talk about women's groups, and about people of color and the LGBTQ communities. And there's like lots of affinity groups. And I think that Mankind Project is a place where you can also not feel ashamed about being a man, because I think that in this culture right now, being a white man has this energy around it that can make it feel unsafe to express anger or how do I actually stand in my power and how do I become tender and sensitive, but yet not lose my divine masculinity? So how do you feel about that with just given the current climate? Well, I think it's, I think it's true. And you know, the mankind project has been around for, God, for a long time. There is mankind group groups in pretty much every English-speaking country. Uh, I know it has been done in Spanish, in South America, in some places, don't remember exactly which countries. I'm pretty sure Mexico is at least one of them. It has been or still exists in France. I know there were several groups in Israel. So it's quite spread. And it's it started in the 60s. I mean, we talk about Robert Bly and his writings of Iron John and Joseph Campbell. So it's been around for a while. And it's been interesting because there have been wives of men in the Mankind Project who said, hey, we want something like that for us. Mm -hmm. So I know there is an organization for women that does similar work, and it's called Women Empowered. Mm -hmm. 
So similar work, obviously, customized specifically to feminine energy. One of the other beautiful things that is happening, at least here in British Columbia, is that there is there is young men weekend. So it's it's members from the Mankind Project who do weekends that are somewhat similar, obviously toned down for young boys. You know, we talk about teenagers, and I know some who went. I know parents of some whose children went to it, and it became incredibly valuable for them. Mm. So. Whatever the question was, the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what I'm hearing you talk about is like this rite of initiation. I have boys yeah. right now that are 15, 17, and 19. And, you know, I'm their mother, and I'm also divorced, and so they don't have as much contact with their dad. And for me, it's just like, yeah, how do I help my young men now actually yeah. transition into knowing what it's like to be a healthy man when you don't necessarily have the role models around role models. in a traditional way. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's evolutionary. It's something that is built within us. I mean, we used to have initiations. We used to have elders. We used to have these learning journeys for both men and women and separate because the qualities are different and the things that genders need in some ways are similar, but they're also really important differences. And, you know, there are enough quotes that talk about the fact that young men who don't have elders, you know, they'll burn the village just to get warm because they're looking for something that they don't have language or ability to articulate and they don't know any better. And our culture is our North American, but others too are filled with many temptations that are maybe so-called masculine energy, but it's not. So there are many distractions and many opportunities to follow whatever appears to be strong and powerful, but actually that's not the case. So it creates a lot of unhealthy masculine energy. And, you know, in my own journey, Kara, I've looked a lot at this interesting question of, okay, so what's, what's the core of the problems that we are experiencing these days in our world from individual to collective. And I had several variations of that. And where I'm at right now is, I think the core of most of it is unhealthy masculine power over greed-oriented energy. Yes. That's at the core of everything. So through the Mankind Project, that's my opportunity to do a little bit to offset it as well as in my own work outside and there is a lot that need to be done and it's obviously not work for for any one person but doing it in community is a really powerful and rewarding journey that sometimes is also easier when i know that okay it's not only up to me yeah are you familiar with marshall rosenberg's work with nonviolent communication yeah 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 i just actually at my final assessment yesterday, I'm now a certified trainer in nonviolent communication. And when I hear you talk about these power over systems that have toxic masculinity built into them, I know that historically, sometimes people call this patriarchy, and yet calling it patriarchy makes it sound like it only exists within men, when really it's a societal thing, and we can have toxic masculine energy 
inside of women, inside of men, inside of organizations, inside of structures. Absolutely. So I love what you said about basically seeing it where it pops up, because I think of this energy almost like weeds that come out of my, I don't know, is it out of my soul? I don't know where it comes out of, but it's like I catch myself in these habits of power over domination, as opposed to being able to express myself in a way that is going after what I really want, which is connection, which is collaboration, which is love. And it's really been a beautiful modality for me to find my way there. And you're just reminding me that there are so many paths and we're really all trying to get to the same thing, which I might even call unity consciousness. It's like we have divine masculine, we have divine feminine. Where do we have these blockages? Where do we notice that I'm using this term weed, but I'm noticing that I don't even like that because, you know, weeds are beautiful. And even when we see these structures, these power over energies emerging from us, what is it that that energy is trying to protect? Because when I can get behind that aggressive energy, that controlling energy, there's usually this small, weaker part that really needs some love and some care and some reassurance. So if I can start to actually befriend these toxic masculine energies that exist inside of my consciousness, that's actually the way that A.H. Almas will talk even about holes, like follow the hole, because at the end of that corridor is where we can actually connect and find that essence quality. And I'm curious how much of that resonates with you and how you've you know, experienced this in your own journey. Mm, lots resonate. So I have a few thoughts about it. First, though, congratulations on completing or almost completing NVI. Great Thank accomplishment you. to add. Thank you. Um, a lot of what you're talking about has to do with presence. It's like, how do we get present to what's really going on for us? And I wouldn't necessarily label it as, well, these are toxic masculine or toxic feminine or toxic non-binary thoughts, whatever. To me, this goes into a, into a realm that I love, and it's the realm of shadow work. Mm. And that's everything that is invisible and yet exists within our psyche and within our personality structure. I remember that was a summer of 2002. I've been coaching for a few years and I reached a certain plateau where I knew that there is something else. There is an expansion and another transition coming up and I didn't know what it was or how to find it. And there is a, I'm trying to think of like shortening that story. One day I thought, oh, hold on. People go traveling. People seem to like go places, find the answer. And I thought, great, maybe I'll go traveling. And then for a while, there wasn't any location that resonated for me. And then one day I remembered a line from one of my childhood books. And the line said that that particular hero was galloping through the prairies of Patagonia. And I thought, okay, where is Patagonia? Opened the map and it was, okay, Chile and Argentina. And I decided, great. And I went on a nine-week solo journey quest, cycling and backpacking through Chile and Argentina. And I started, and, and it also coincided with the fact that I had a really painful and bad relationship breakup at the time. And I lived in Vancouver and I thought, okay, that's also going to be a good opportunity to leave Vancouver. 
and go away for a while. And so I was cycling through the desert of San Pedro de Atacama. So that's northern Chile, uh, over 100 kilometers of desert and absolutely nothing else. And turns out, even though I was in a good shape, I was not able to train in Vancouver for elevation sickness because I started at 2,500 meters and I was going to 3,500 meters and it took me five hours to do it and I couldn't understand what's going on and why why I can't breathe until I realized that's what I'm dealing with. And so hundred and some kilometers through the desert, it's a wonderful opportunity to be on your own with your own thoughts. And many of them were not the most flattering. There was a flavor of whose stupid idea was it to come here? (laughs) And here you are all by yourself and all your friends and your community are all in Vancouver with your ex-girlfriend. And here you are all alone, which is one of those pain points of my life. And out of nowhere, at some point, two lines from a song came to mind. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Mm. You came to talk with me again. Yeah. And to me, that was, well, first it became a mantra for the whole nine weeks of the trip. And it's also a really powerful articulation of shadow work because it's an old friend. They've been around for a long time and they're never going to go away. And the only way to, in quotes, deal with it or begin to work and embrace and integrate the shadow is start looking at it as an old friend. Mm. It changes the dynamic and the energy. It's not about fighting or killing or destroying or whatever. Some of the approaches I see around how we deal with ego, that never works. Befriending is the only way. So I am very much in agreement with you in what you are saying. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you're highlighting that Specifically, like in typology communities, you know, we have a type, we have a personality. Um, We could always say, oh, I'm operating out of personality as opposed to essence, you know, and that is quote unquote, like a bad thing. And the reality is that even as we do our personal growth work, like I'm still a three, but I'm not a three, I'm Kara, but I sort of fixate. I can, you know, default back to these patterns that are common of an Enneagram three, but can I watch myself doing these patterns and then ask myself, is this a time where healthy three energy is needed? And then, Hey, I might be your girl for the job because that's kind of my home base. And if I can be in a healthy zone there, I'm going to have certain aptitudes and gifts. And yet as I develop all of my other points along the wheel, I don't have to live at point three. I can travel to six and nine, probably most easily as my arrows, but also into two and four as my wings. And for people that are newer to the Enneagram, we have the triangle and then we have the hexad, which is where the law of seven and dynamism exists. And so once we're starting from any point on the Enneagram, we now can enter this process where we can really try on and develop and discover which of these energies am I familiar with and I'm operating with consciously all the time and which are the ones that are in the shadow? Why are they in the shadow? How are they showing up in my life? And how do I want to visit that? And once again, create some alchemy where we can actually transcend wherever we are and pull in these powerful energies that we didn't have access to before. 
And to me, that's what's so exciting about the Enneagram is that it doesn't keep us in a box. We are never fixed, but we can remember that when I'm not resourced, when I know that I'm not present, when I know I'm not self-connected, there are probably some typical tricks that I can see start to emerge from myself. What's your relationship to working with typology and what's your reaction to what I just said? So the Enneagram and I have been together for probably 12 years. I'd say the first four, maybe, we were in a very non-committed relationship. (laughs) And then I went through a colon cancer journey Mm. and realized how my type eight structure is playing out and why I needed to get that particular lesson. And that created a commitment for me around the Enneagram. So now we are deeply committed to each other. And I use it in my in my executive coaching, in my somatic coaching, in my education. I teach several graduate level programs in my organizational work and in my own programs and retreats that I lead. And, you know, what you're saying resonates, Kara, because one of the things I do periodically see is people who kind of learn the Enneagram at a certain I'd say surfacey or semi-surfacey level, often use their type as an excuse to their behavior. Well, I do I do this thing and I talk over because I'm an eight and that's just me. That's a very limited understanding and very limited view of what the Enneagram actually is because I think, and my guess is my teachers would think the same thing. The Your particular Enneagram type is not an excuse to be an arrogant whatever, right? doesn't matter what the word is. Uh, And if we are using it as an excuse, then it is really limiting to who the person is underneath all of it. And that's where it goes back to presence. It's like noticing, okay, well, I'm reacting right now. I'm being pushy or I'm angry or whatever the reaction that is going on. The first thing to notice is to become aware of the fact that it's happening. And that's presence. And then curiosity around, hold on, so what's going on here? I see that I'm reacting. I see that I'm contracting. I see that I want to withdraw or I want to dominate or whatever the reaction is that is my favorite, uh, my type's favorite uh, coping or defense mechanism. And once I get present, I can get curious and see what's happening. And this is where it goes into the somatic awareness, which I work with a lot. So because oftentimes our head will miss things, our body will not. Like, so what's happening in my body? There is a sensation. And then you start tracking it. Okay, so what's the sensation about what's happening here? And basically a little bit of an exploration can bring in the awareness of, oh, so I'm behaving like my contracted type because, because whatever, you know, like I had a I had a birthday recently and my now ex-wife sent a very sweet text the day before, you know, wishing me lots of, and we are in contact, wishing me lots of love and then adding, this is so strange, it's it's your first birthday, we're not together. And I walked the rest of the day tender because that innocent sentence, even though it came from a good place, helped me realize, yep, that's the first time in 12 or 13 years that I am back to being on my own. And it took me until about the afternoon 
to realize, oh, that's what's happening here. Like I was just a little bit off. And then realized, okay, that's what wicked. it. That's why I'm tender. Okay, so I'm going to thread gently. And the world didn't end. And I definitely settled once I saw what's happening. So that would be, the to me, that would be the real power of working with the Enneagram when we understand our type structure and everything that goes with it. And pay attention to what's behind, right? So back to presence as a starting point to any change, to any transformation, to any alchemy. Yeah. Mm, thank you for that story. It really landed with me very powerfully because also as an assertive type, I think that sometimes we tend to like go, 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 like so fast that we're missing, that we're starting to like, that we're off or that, you know, we're not fully integrated, that, you know, we're not occupying all three centers. Like for me, it's like, I'm in think, do, think, do, think, do, and a trigger will happen. And now I'm completely disconnected from my heart center and I am violently communicating instead of non-violently communicating. And there's all these old patterns that erupt. And, you know, I um, will just name that. Yeah. It's been really tender for me this week. I have definitely caught myself in a pattern of overdoing. Um, I actually got braces this week, which has been really unpleasant. And I'm now about 72 hours into some pain while I'm like adapting to it. And it was really funny because I did not consider adjusting my schedule this week, knowing that I was getting these braces and knowing that I would probably be exquisitely uncomfortable. And not only did I not adjust my schedule, but I also thought that scheduling this big two-hour final assessment presentation 48 hours after having this like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, I can do it. It's like that point three structure where we're just blasting through. And, you know, I can work my typical 14 hour day on Wednesday, like no problem. And, you know, I came home and one of those triggers happened. And for me, I'm self-press dominant. So if my house isn't being taken care of in basic ways, I can get really activated. And my 19-year-old was supposed to have mowed the grass and, you know, he's a nine. He kind of nined out from it and it didn't happen. And I asked nine again, out. like, yeah, no, I mean, literally, like, it's it's such the point nine structure. I, I've My listeners know that I've had many, many nines in my life. And I realized, like, yeah, I have this deep wound around nines because my three structure, we just do what we have to do and we, like, force through and we pile another thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. And then you come across a nine where you're trying to get onto your plan and you're like, Hey, we're going to do this. Right. And they smile and they nod and they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to mow the grass. They come home. It's not done. You're like, wait a minute. The execution didn't happen. And so you ask again and they're smiling and nodding and yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. And nope. Next day, come home. Doesn't happen. And then I notice that I'm not really in connection with my nine. I'm like railroading my agenda. And this is why nines are here to show me what would happen if we slowed down. What would happen if we didn't mow the grass today and we just left it for a day or two? You know, my saying is that cemeteries are filled with indispensable people. And it's really amazing when I'm in my structure, how caught up around what needs to get done and how it needs to be done can get 
really, really hot for me. And so, yeah, we had some pretty intense words where I sent him, I think, eight screens of text messages about how I felt about the grass not being mowed. (laughs) And of course, my sweet nine, they're always like, whoa, like, settle down. I think they also sometimes miss that this act of sort of not saying no and having a conversation about why I'm not going to do the thing that you're asking me to do actually leads to more intensity down the road. But that being said, I was in assertive type mode, not really leaving space for the nine to even have that voice. And so it's really interesting. He also has an eight wing. And so when I send my eight screens of text messages telling him all of my diagnoses, judgments, evaluations of what's happening here, that's when you see that eight wing flare. And he's like, whoa, stop. No, like these are the things that are not okay that you just said. And yes, these are the things I will acknowledge and that, you know, I feel some regret around. Sounds like you have a wonderful, wonderful teacher around to help you continue looking at your type three structure and where it's functional and where it gets to be maybe over-functioning a little bit. Absolutely. And so I loved this experience saying, instead of like judging his nine energy, because it's not like my three energy, what if I could have opened up and just remembered that I'm not inviting enough being into my life? I'm not inviting enough spaciousness. Why am I just rushing and cramming? And this whole entire encounter was really a great wake-up call to just say, this isn't what I want my relationships to look like. And to say, yeah, am I going to prioritize trying to be a little more like a nine? Because that's exactly the message that I'm getting. And I love using the Enneagram in this way because those arrows, man, I don't know. I'm curious, Simon, do you have like special fives and twos in your life that have, you know, invited you into those energies or is this just something I'm noticing? Feels like the arrows are important. The arrows are important. Before the arrows, I want to add one more thing and kind of to follow up on what you said and, and the story that you shared about you and your son. I am a dog person. And for all those of you dog people listening, the absolute dog Bible is a book called Bones Would Rain From the Sky by Suzanne Clotier. And the title of the book comes from an old Turkish proverb that says, if dogs' prayers were answered, bones would rain from the sky. And I got this book many years ago, and it's seemingly a book about dogs, but it really is a book about relationships. And it's absolutely beautiful. Every friend of mine that ever had a dog or thought about getting a dog got that book as a gift at one point or another. I don't have this and book, one Simon. Of the, uh, okay, noted. <laughs> Send me your address. <laughs> and um, one of the things that she talks about, there is a chapter there where she says, that simple phrase, what can I learn from you, mm. can be applied not to people only. And so... My previous dog was a very integrated, awakened, old soul nine. My current one, who is from the same breeder, Labradoodles, she's very different and she's very much a type six. So there is a lot of timidness and anxiety. 
And I notice how there are moments when it pushes against my aid structure. We're just walking for, we are just going for a walk, hiking in the woods or whatever. And she would see a dog and she will stop. And even if the dog is like quarter her size. And I'm like, come on, Luna, that's not a big deal. And there will be moments where my eightness will come up and, and I need to catch myself and notice. And it's like, okay, so what can I learn from you here? What am I not seeing that you are seeing? And put myself in someone else's pause to see what's going on. That was the story. You were asking about type well, what five did you and learn? type two. Now I want to know what you learned in that moment. What has she taught you? <sighs> this continues to be a beautiful lesson. And I suspect that's part of the reason she is in my life. I mean, we know that for a type eight, the virtue is innocence. and how for me how important it is to have it be present in my life and open up to it it makes me a lot more permeable and luna is an absolute total physical representation of sweetness and innocence mm. the only exception to that is in the morning she sometimes will yawn like a truck driver <laughs> and that's not innocence. But other than that, she's a walking, sleeping, breathing, playing innocence. And so for me, having that as a tangible representation by my side in my life is invaluable. And anytime that eight energy in me that wakes up and doesn't like something that she's doing, it's a great opportunity to come back to presence and notice, oh, I want things to go differently than how they are happening right now. How interesting, mm. right? Kind of little mini wake-up calls to continue keeping an eye on my personality structure. Yeah, I hear you. I have a poodle and his name is Zeus and he is a seven mm -hmm. and filled with joy, filled with play, very bouncy, like kind of, I call seven energy sometimes like ticker energy. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, yep. he also, if anybody knows sevens, like, Sevens want what they want when they want it, and they can be quite persistent and yep. even a little crabby, like if they're not getting it. And so he is in my life because when he wants attention and he wants affection, he'll be like, mom, stop working. Like, mom, stop doing no, whatever absolutely. you're doing. I need love. And he starts off with just looking at me with like these penetrating eyes, like mm -hmm. while I'm on my computer, like working on whatever I'm working on. And he just gets closer and closer and closer. And then he starts literally pawing me with yep. his paw. Like, it's like, how much more do I have to do? And he'll literally then even like lay on top of my keyboard. And so it's mm -hmm. just really funny because he's like, you will love me right now. You will pet me right now. And it's all about, can I just stop work? Can I just yeah. be present with this beautiful creature? When I look into his eyes, there is this very, very deep, heartfelt connection. And it's beautiful. And mm -hmm. it can be really sad to see how I can let work as a self-press three take me away from these beautiful connections that are surrounding From me. the moments of presence, absolutely. Yeah. And what presence opens up. Yeah, totally. So it's a good thing that I have this assertive seven puppy to be like, you will stop. <laughs> it's really I interesting. I will remind you. Yes. 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 Exactly. I think that, um, I don't know. 
I need loud messages. Sometimes I don't hear the quiet ones. That's often true with us assertive types. Um, when the energy is strong, it needs to be interrupted in a way that we can pay attention. And when our capacity of presence is well-developed, they don't need to be as loud. But in moments when we are hijacked or focused on something else, we need a certain volume to to help us pay attention. So I agree. Yeah. Um, shot me back to another story. Before I knew the Enneagram, before I had started a growth journey, um, listeners know that I have my own medical practice that I started 13 years ago. But I was actually going to start it like three years before that when I was pregnant with my fourth child. Because of course, that's a brilliant time to start a new business is, you know, during totally. a pregnancy with a fourth child. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Right. And so <laughs> I had just gotten frustrated because I wasn't getting my way at the practice that I was at. So I'm just starting my own practice. And I was working like seven hours after my regular job, like starting this new practice and just nonstop. And a million people asked me like, is this really the best time that you want to do this? And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Like I can do that. Well, I went into preterm labor and literally it took like threatening the life of my baby to get me to stop and to just go to bed. And he actually was full term. There was no problem with the pregnancy, but every time I would try to push that edge and I would get up out of bed and I would start going back to work, I got the preterm labor contractions again and it just put me right back to bed. And so it's like these messages from the universe. I think that it's important to remember that if you are feeling your own point three energy, whether you're a three or not, you may have a plan and something may be hijacking your plan. And if you don't listen, the messages just get louder and stronger. And so this really opens me up to this holy idea of holy harmony, where when I'm hitting a wall, when you know I'm being told to stop, that it might be wiser to just listen and lean into it and just notice the way my structure wants to cling to the agenda that I'm believing is so important. To get present and listen, absolutely. Because yeah. I personally believe, and I've had lots of my own experiences of that too, a uh, lesson will be repeated until learned. Yes. And then periodically there will be a quiz to make sure that you still remember. <laughs> I love that. You're absolutely It's right. true, though. It, it's always like that. It's like, because I used to have this thing of like, a lesson will come back or something. And I'm like, haven't I dealt with it already? But it's oh. not a linear journey. Inner work is endless spiral with ever-increasing depth. Oh. It's like, here we go again. I guess there is something else here that I missed the first time or need to deepen or review or whatever that is. Absolutely. Well, on that yeah. note, will you tell us a little bit about your Awakened Living program that you have starting, I think, October 2nd this October year 2nd. that goes for yeah. nine months? And nine months. Yeah. Tell us about this. How long have you been doing it? What gave you the idea? What is the purpose? Why, why should we sign up? Exactly. Where do I begin? I'll begin about five years ago. For 12 years, I taught at a university on Bainbridge Island, just outside of Seattle. And we had a very unique MBA. It was an MBA in sustainable business where sustainability was integrated into the foundation of all the courses. 
And I was teaching, so it was a two-year degree, and I was teaching a two-year leadership and personal development program as part of it. And five years ago in Seattle, we had a big alumni gathering. And by then, I've realized that in order to do deep, meaningful, transformative work, kind of what we talk about awakening and deep presence and what what we talked about at the beginning of the call, it takes time. It's not going to be a weekend workshop or even a week or even a month-long course because it's not enough. There is need for continuity. There is need for a small, committed group and the process and time to build skills and capacity and to practice them enough, both individually and in that small group so that those deep changes will last. Otherwise, it just doesn't last. And so I went to that alumni gathering and did a session. Uh, They asked me to do a workshop. So I did like an hour and a half workshop on that idea. And I kind of said, and I'm thinking of launching a program. And before the conference was over, five people came to me and said, okay, when does it start and where do we sign up? And I went back to a dear friend of mine who is a transpersonal counselor and my personal Enneagram wise woman. And I talked to her and said, you know, there is an opportunity for a program. Let's do something. And she said, great. And so the two of us, and at some point later, my now ex-wife joined. So the three of us designed a year-long program, and it was a blend of virtual and quarterly in-person weekend-long retreats. We ran that four years ago. It was an incredible, incredible program, um, impacted us because for me personally, whenever I run a program that has elements of deep inner work, I always leave it different than how I started. And it was incredibly valuable for all the participants. And then, you know, then for years, uh, people went their different ways. We had COVID, my marriage ended. And some time ago, I got a message that, I got a message, I mean, not like an email, but I, I just had an insight. We can call it spirit guides, downloads, whatever. I just got an intuitive hit. I think it needs to start again. And so I've changed some of the designs. So it's nine months. It's fully virtual. There are monthly modules that have topics. Um, The Enneagram is part of the foundation. Somatic awareness is part of the foundation. Hero's journey is work. I'm bringing in elements of eco-psychology, which is my PhD. And so essentially it's connection with natural world because we don't learn in isolation. We learn in collaboration and interactions with others, both human and non-human beings. And I also bring elements of a separate program that I ran 12 years ago called Right Livelihood Quest. This is what I did my presentation at the Enneagram conference recently. And it really is about exploring two questions. Why are you here? And what has your life been preparing you for? Mm. So all of it is integrated into this nine months program. It's fully virtual. There are two Zoom webinars a month. There is a private online area. Participants will be 
also working in what I call awakening bodies. So there are multiple structures, but each participant will get to work with somebody on practicing some of the deeper elements, online conversations, uh, journaling prompts, presence practices, webinars, um, opportunity for individual sessions, one and me, one on one with me throughout for extra deepening the learning for the participants. And so the second cohort is launching. I'm keeping the numbers small. I have in mind maximum of 20. And I'm already at 10 people who are signed up. So that's really exciting. Mm. And we start on October 2nd and it's called Awakened Living because, you know, it's like many other wise and infinitely wiser people and gurus and sages said, it's not like once you are awakened, whatever that means, life suddenly takes a different quality. There are no problems. There are no challenges. There are no triggers. That's a great illusion that I find exists very much in the in some of the versions of the new age culture. That's not what it is about. It is about being able to see reality and our own experience as it is and embrace it as is. And one of the metaphors I've been using a lot and I'll be using in this program as well is the interplay between ocean and waves. Mm. And waves are triggers, are emotions, are reactivity. Like my day before birthday, after receiving the text, walking tender, there was a moment where I identified strongly with that particular wave that was whispering the song of aloneness, like the marriage ended, you're all by yourself. Close wave was sadness and grief. And I know that I'm infinitely more than that. I'm an ocean. I know that. And in the moments when I forget and I tend to identify with any of the waves, big or small, that are surfacing in my psyche, in my awareness, in my heart, it's really easy to forget what's true. And the truth is the wave belongs to the ocean. It doesn't define it. Mm -hmm. So that's the interplay and that's the metaphor. I, I work a lot in that program. Thank you. I love that. Yeah, I I just interviewed Catherine Bell last week, and we were, again, talking about our own wave metaphor. And I just think yeah. that this is like some synchronicity, just with looking at this relationship that we have to these waves that are going to come by. And, you know, when I'm surfing, I can get really focused on this one wave that I am on, and it might even like catapult me, and it can be like a really rough ride. But once that wave has passed and I'm here and I'm floating in this ocean again, it really contains all of it. And I can Absolutely. see other waves over there, but I, I don't necessarily ride them all. And I can get more skillful at the ones that come by. Absolutely. And, and it's a matter of like you're, you're using the expression riding the waves. In my case, it's being identified with the wave mm -hmm. and forgetting that the wave and the ocean are not separate. It's, yeah. it's a point of focus. And this is where it goes back to being present. What's true in my experience right now? Mm. What am I identifying with? And this is where the Enneagram provides wonderful framework to being able to understand for each type their most common and most frequent waves that kidnap our attention, right? Fixations yeah. and passions. Yeah. So this yeah. question 
why am I here and what has life been preparing me to do? Did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. When did you come across that as being a core component of your teaching? And why are you here? And what has your life been preparing you to do, Simon? That can get into a very long story. For me, it's been a journey. And it has to do with a, with a different piece of work that I've been doing for 12 years called Right Livelihood Quest. And that particular framework and the approach and those questions have been birthing themselves through me very persistently and guiding me to do this work both with myself because I was not born doing what I'm doing now. For me, it's been a long journey of bachelor degree in math and computer sciences and 10 years of high tech and throughout that moving from Israel to Canada and three different places in Canada. And the way Paulo Coelho describes it in his wonderful book, The Alchemist, it was following the omens. So I was following the omens and I continued asking myself those questions that I didn't have answers for. And somehow I kept I kept my eye on the questions. And I guess I remained open and present enough to see where I was guided. And it guided me to start my coaching practice and then teaching and then facilitating. And those questions emerged during the journey because I've been asking myself those questions many times. And then I started using them with friends and clients. And they kept guiding me towards that piece of work, that that retreat program that is called Right Livelihood Quest. And then it became fully virtual during the pandemic, and then it integrated itself into the awakened living. So it's back to being present and trusting that I will be guided. And apparently something is working because I seem to continue being guided. Yeah, something came up for me. Is it okay if I share a reflection and and just check in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you were sharing your story of your childhood, and your father not having the characteristic and attributes that you had longed for a father to have for you, and how this led you to Mankind Project and all of this other work that you have done. When I ask myself that question, why am I here and what has my life been preparing me to do? It could be very easy to say, like, why would somebody give me that childhood or that father? But if you had had a perfect model of fatherhood, you might not have been so deeply connected with what it's like to not have that and to have to go on your own journey to develop that inside of yourself and now to be able to pass on that gift. So when I am with you with your beautiful integrated eight energy, it does have very much of a father type quality to me. And I'm just wondering if you've been told that, if you feel that. And when I heard that this is one of the things you're teaching, I'm just like, well, yes, of course. Of course, Simon had to not have a healthy father role model. And of course, he had to go on his own journey to find that inside of himself. And of course, he now leads these cohorts and is fathering so many who need that role model along their own journey. And I'm wondering how that Mm -hmm. is for you to hear. Well, first, thank you. I appreciate this these thoughts and and reflections. And what I will say is, well, first is yes, uh, but the more elaborate is in systems thinking, we learn that there is cause and there is effect. 
And one of the things that many people forget is that between cause and effect, there is there is a time delay. And sometimes that time delay is measured in hours or days, and sometimes it's measured in decades. And in our in our culture and world of immediate, give it to me now, patience is missing. And so we expect to see immediate outcomes. Okay, so I got an insight and I overcame my trigger. And, you know, where is the reality conforming to my new awareness right now? That's not the case. It takes a lot of time to integrate the learning and stay with it and stay in those mysterious, dark, discombobulating, confusing times. And they all play a role. They all have a purpose. It just takes us often a long time to see it. So I think you're right. It's all part of what has been navigating me. And when I look at those questions of, specifically the question of what has your life been preparing you for, the inquiry that we guide there is a very particular inquiry where we inquire into different threads of a person's life and explore how it contributed towards wherever the person is evolving. So all those experiences end up playing a role. We just need to examine it. Yeah. And what's coming up for me is this image of this beautiful tapestry with all of these threads and all of these experiences and recognizing that each one of us are our own unique tapestry of all of our experiences and everything that we have woven in. So I'm recognizing that we're at the top of the hour, and I just want to thank you for being here and sharing your work, the Awakened Living Program, which I'll make sure that listeners have a contact point for. And I'm really eager to hear how this program evolves, and maybe next year we can come back and hear how you've grown and what you've learned and what other exciting things are now emerging. So thank you for sharing your work with us today, Simon. Mm. I'd love to come back and share how it's evolving. Thank you for the opportunity, Kara. Thank you for all the listeners who are engaging in your podcasts and and the work that you're doing. It was wonderful to spend this time and share at least some of the things I'm passionate about. So well, thank lots you. Lots of gratitude and blessings. If you're enjoying these episodes, You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at social at karenansmd.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, including typology, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Please visit my website at karenancemd.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation if you'd like to work with me in any way. We also have the opportunity for free classes.